0: 95.7 FM. Breast cancer transformed Terry Fidonzak's life by creating clarity that helped her release her pursuit of money and status to focus on cultivating deep relationships with her four girls and her patient husband. On a trip to South Africa, Terry witnessed the power of Lioness as they supported each other within the pride. It was a lightning bolt of realizations, leading her on a mission to bring the power of the pride. To girls and their parents. Terry's book, Field Guide to Plugged in Parenting, Even If You Were Raised by Wolves, pulls together her 22 year experience of raising children, and she shows the reader how you can be raised by wolves and still change your family's trajectory by learning new skills and getting clear on your values. Today, Terry and I discuss how you can repair your relationship with your teenager. It's never too late. Terry, hello and welcome to my show. Hi, Corinne. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to have you here. And because I think it's so important, there's so much shame around parenting and we get into this compare and despair, you know, and if somebody's reading your book, you have some, you know, great examples and you're very candid. It wasn't that you've always done it perfectly. God, no. (laughs) And to be able to have this conversation where we can say, look, it's
1: okay if you need to repair your relationship and here's how. Exactly, exactly. And as I said really early in the book, I have made every one of the, I'm using air quotes, mistakes that I talk about in the book because I don't think there really are any mistakes in parenting. I think it's sort of a seat of your pants job. But at the same time, if you can bring some intention into it, it makes the experience so much richer, not only for you, but also for your kids. And that's what I've seen when I started plugging in, um, to my parenting and really parenting with intention.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's just so important because again, you know, for those of you guys that are out here listening, it's okay if you've made mistakes. We all have, right? And, and, Absolutely. And in the show, we're going to talk about that, how, how you can rebuild those mistakes. But first I want to go into, you know, what I've talked about in the intro with breast cancer and how did that, how did cancer diagnosis change your outlook on life?
1: Well, um, and I talk about this in the book, but it was such a huge shift for me because uh, when I first was diagnosed, my first reaction to the doctor saying, you have breast cancer was, and then talking about the treatment for the breast cancer, her, you know, treatment um, suggestions for me, my first thought was, oh, thank God, I get to lie down for a long time with a really good excuse And and that was the, that was like this little light bulb went off in my head like, honey, you didn't have to have breast cancer to lie down, but I didn't believe it. I mean, it took that much of a wake up call for me to realize how much I had ignored my own self care. And then from there, sort of looking at what I valued breast cancer shook me up from the very foundation. And I'm not sure that anything else could have done it in the same way, which is why I say it's the best thing that ever happened to me.
0: So, you know, Oprah has a saying that, um, there's whispers that come to give you messages. And I always, mm-hmm. my joke is that, yeah, I'm not very good about hearing the whispers. The brick, not, you know, comes down on my head. I, I kind of, exactly. I'm like, I can still persevere. And it's like, and I can even get through that brick wall. I'm like, look, see, I was able to get through it. So right. w- was cancer like getting through that brick wall? It was finally like, you, you kept going, I can do this. I can do this. And then cancer is the thing that kind of knocked you down and said, you need to rest. You need right. to take care of yourself.
1: Yeah, it did. And you know, it was, it was a, um, it was sort of a different question. Like, can you do this? That wasn't the question anymore. The question is why? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to push your body to the nth degree with dieting and punishing workouts? And why would you want to um, stress your family out by having all of these, you know, really rigid rules and structures? And um, and I parented with shame. I did. I didn't. I didn't think I did, but I look back on it now, and I did parent with shame and guilt. And I tried to guilt my children as much as I guilted myself. And you know, it, because it was that white knuckling force, I could do anything as long as I had willpower. And now I see that willpower is incredibly overrated, especially as a parenting tool. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I so agree with you. Um, you know, what,
0: what I like about you, obviously is there's many things I like about you, but, and and Terry's a dear friend of mine. So just so you guys know out there, but, um, is that here you are this parenting expert. And years ago, before I had my radio show, I thought, oh my gosh, if these people, I remember telling Martha this, and maybe even on the one of the recordings, my first one that I did with her, but it was like, y- you are this expert. So you have been able to avoid all these problems, right? <laughs> but actually it's your, you've been to hell and back and yes. you've been able to, in a growth mindset, learn from your mistakes, reflect on it and then go, what can I do to be do it better? What can I do to create the relationships want? What can I do to, to be in line with the person I want to be?
1: Right, exactly. And it's not, you know, I think a lot of that willpower and that white knuckling um, is because I wasn't the person I wanted to be. I wasn't parenting the way I wanted to parent. I was parenting according to some external standard of, um, you know, my kids need to have Uh, good grades, they need to be respectful, they need to do what I tell them, no matter why, you know, and yet, that was not the real me. The real me is incredibly goofy, and very sarcastic. And that's what I was really teaching my children is to be goofy and sarcastic. But every time they were goofy and sarcastic, since I wasn't taking very good care of myself, and I was white knuckling things, I thought it was disrespectful. And it was anything but that. My kids are incredibly respectful, but they're also incredibly goofy and sarcastic. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a strange sort of a dichotomy. And I didn't know who I was, either as a parent or as a person, because I was on this trajectory of, you know, you have to do more, um, succeed more, make more money, buy more stuff. That's the way to happiness. And that was all I knew.
0: hmm were you in the pursuit of being enough once you got all these things?
1: Oh, I, I I thought so. I mean, I thought that when I you know bought the perfect pair of shoes or the most incredible bag, then I would be happy, and I was for about a minute and a half. <laughs> and then um, and and then I I realized that having all that stuff made no difference whatsoever if I wasn't connected to my kids, and I wasn't connected to my kids.
0: And so. As you've gone in and been become a plugged in parent with your children, has that given you more of that um, enough feeling? Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. I I mean, I, on a regular basis, I was flying back from an event in Texas um, this week. And as I'm on the plane, I looked around and I thought, I am content. And I, I don't remember ever saying those words. Like for 15 years, I don't think I ever said the words, I am content. And I feel that way all the time now.
0: Wow. Yeah. And is that because you've cultivated a relationship with yourself? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I I value myself um, much more than I ever did. And you know, I remember going to a, a class when I was going through my divorce, and the psychologist who was amazing was teaching this class, and she was talking about how the how the flight attendant always tells you to put on your own ox- oxygen mask before you aid others. And I thought at the time, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Of course, I'm going to save my kids before I save myself, but then it clunked in my head. like I heard this clunk, like a puzzle piece falling into place. I can't save my kids if I'm passed out on the floor and Mm -hmm. due to lack of whatever, you know, self-care really. So that was the first little inkling that I got that maybe this white knuckling through life wasn't all it was cracked up to be.
0: And then so why did you decide to write this parenting book, um, Field Guide to Plugged-In Parenting Even if You Were Raised by Wolves?
1: Well, because I kind of was raised by wolves and um, and that doesn't mean that my parents were bad people because they weren't. They weren't bad people. My mother was an amazing person, but they just were not, they didn't want to be parents. I mean, it wasn't that they were not good parents. They just didn't want to be parents. And so, I was raised in an environment of lack. I was always wanting more. And I think that translated into my adult life and I substituted stuff for nurturing. Mm -hmm. And so as I, when breast cancer woke me up and I saw that my path was not through stuff, my path was through connection, I started thinking, if I can have this realization and I can help other parents, and I love to write, this is kind of a no-brainer. Why don't I write a book and, and put all of this you know, all of these years of parenting and then relatively recent um, realizations about what's important. How about if I put that in a book and it can help other parents not have to go through the same struggles that I went through. Wow. So how does it feel to have the book done? Oh, it's just, I'm so happy with it. I mean, it took me a long time. (laughs) You know, I think it was Ernest Hemingway said something about, Uh, be willing to have a, uh, he didn't use this word, but a rough first draft. And my first draft was incredibly rough. It was just this little ugly book, but it had a good heart. And so I found an editor and built what I have today and I just couldn't be happier. It is 18 months of my life that was very, very well spent.
0: Well, Terry, I want to go into now that, because you talked about shame and how you used to parent from shame. Yes. And um and especially for what you call our wolf babies and can you just explain to the listeners a, a little bit about being a wolf baby and what that means
1: absolutely yeah i, I and i kind of coined that phrase a little bit because and i see it all the time people that were raised in an environment where they were not nurtured and they were never enough they they sort of focus on lack and in extreme environments people that were raised in abusive situations They are like wild animals in that they are hypersensitive to threat. So they're always outwardly focused. They're always looking for this for the next threat. And from that place of fear, it is impossible to feel abundant. They're always in lack. And you know, not enough money, not pretty enough, not thin enough not whatever, fill in the blank. So that place of lack is where I was as well. And that's where um, I have seen most people that have been raised by wolves feel the same way. They are, and they think that lack is a stasis. There's nothing that's going to change that. But I am here to tell you that lack is merely a thought. And if you can instead focus on gratitude, And I know Martha Beck says this all the time. Fear and gratitude cannot coexist. If you can focus on gratitude when you're feeling fear, you can change your brain chemistry to one of abundance. So that's why I wrote the book to give people that experience of what that feels like, just to think about abundance as opposed to lack. And when you talk about abundance, what does, what does that mean? In, in my terms for my life, abundance is a connection with your kids, where you are not looking for your kids to respect you, because it's there. You're not um, setting rules down that make you feel more powerful, because you're already powerful. You are connected to yourself and your own inner power. And you're also connected to your kids. That's abundance for me. I get calls and texts from my girls. I have two in college, one who lives in New York City and one at home. And I have some form of communication with my kids every single day at least once. And I know parents whose kids live in the same house with them and they don't talk to them for a week.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's abundance for me. And I love how here you grew up in a
0: different way, right? But yes. you were able to go, that is not the way I want to parent. Those aren't the relationships. So even, you know, as you started out on this journey with not knowing, you know, a lot of the tools that you currently have, you, you did the best that you could with what you knew. It's that Maya is saying. And when you know better, you continue to do better.
1: Right. Right. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I really um, started my parenting journey thinking, I'm just going to replicate the Cosby show. <laughs> Mine was Brady Bunch. Brady <laughs> Bunch, yeah. I mean, I, I like to see the Cosby's were sarcastic. That's why I like the Co- Cosby's so much. And I thought if I can just replicate that feeling of sort of this dance, you know, like those kids and their parents just danced with language and, and physicality. They were so touchy and loving. And yet each one had their own individual personality. I thought that's what I want. That's what I want in my parenting. And that's what I set out to do. I love
0: that. And when you I love how when you talk about abundance is the connection with your kids, because so often when people think abundance, it's like, how much money can I have? What things can I buy? Right. And that's why I really wanted you to clarify that, because
1: that is very different than a lot of people, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of families are so concerned with keeping up with the Joneses and it may be stuff. It may be time spent in um, extracurriculars. I mean, I know so many parents that they time they spend with their kids is only in the car carting them to the next thing. And I am a big team sports fan. I love team sports, especially for girls. But at the same time, we kind of had have a, have a rule of one thing in our house because if you get multiple things going at the same time, I feel like a, your kids don't sleep enough and sleep is really important to, to that self care, that self awareness. Sleep is critical, especially with teenagers. Um, but you also don't have time to just sit around and play Mm -hmm. like as a family and that, that, you know, focus around the dinner table. We have dinner together every single night. Um, And that is just so super important and it's really tough to do if you're doing more than one extracurricular thing at a time.
0: Well, and so let's, I want to go back to talking about shame because some of my listeners can go, well, you know, it just, I work or, you know, they may have other things where maybe they don't eat dinner every single night together as a family. And so what do you have to say to them? Because that may trigger them them shame as they're just listening to this interview.
1: Right, exactly. And so, you know, what I say is there's no, and this is, the, this is sort of the point of my book. There is no one right way to parent, um, but there's your right way. You know what's best. If you parent based on your family values, and those values can be vastly different than someone else's, then the shame thing doesn't raise its ugly head because you're not like me. You're not going to parent like me. Your kids aren't like mine. And there's no reason for you to feel less than if I say I'm doing one thing and you say, well, I can't possibly do that. That's okay. You know, what can you do? So if you focus on plugging into your kids in whatever way feels good for you, then shame doesn't raise its head because it's different. Your way is different than my way. That comparison and despair doesn't work for really anybody and especially not for parenting. And and that goes
0: back to what you're talking about with that lack mentality, right? Correct. Yes,
1: definitely. Yeah, if you're not focused on lack, what I don't have, if you're focused on these are the things we do well in our family. This is the happiest times that we have are doing blank, fill in the blank. Ours happen to be around the dinner table. That's why I put such an emphasis on it because it's so fun, To have everybody in the same space and all of the, you know, my kids are incredibly individual. They're each one of them are very different. And, you know, just talking about what amused us that day or what confused us that day. And it's fun. Um, That's our biggest family value, I think, is fun. And we do. We have fun. I, I, we've had friends come over and say, you guys should be on a reality TV show. This is the weirdest house ever. I, yeah, I know. It's okay. <laughs> we like it.
0: So with you and com- overcoming your own shame in your parenting, yes, and using shame, you know, parenting with shame, for, I want to go back to that. What does parenting
1: with shame look like? I think parenting with shame looks furtive is the first word that popped into my mind. Um, Like you're not all in for fear of doing it wrong. Mm. And every time you do something, you're always looking to a higher authority to tell you if that was the right thing to do. And when you parent from there, you'll never feel enough because you're always comparing it to some other standard. And this is what's interesting to me is people that practice shame on a regular basis, their standards can change depending upon who they're mimicking. Like they can find a new person that they love. They can be doing something vastly different than they were doing the month before. But because they're following a new, um, you know, authority figure and what is right for them, it looks really different than what they thought was right the month before. Because they're not focusing, they're not plugging into their own values and what makes them happy. Well, and as Brene Brown
0: says, she says that shame is the birthplace for, for, for perfectionism. Absolutely. And so when you're talking about that, I'm thinking about when we're looking at those other people, when we're trying to have these experts tell us how to do it, which, and we're, we're, we're trying to be perfect, right? Exactly. We're trying to make it look a certain way.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think perfectionism is the worst family value you can pass on to your kids. And I was I was in it up to my nose. I was misperfect and I tried to make everything perfect. And it I was never I never got there. And nothing was ever good enough. I would never stay in the present moment and say, Wow, look at what I have. I was always striving for something better. Better, in air quotes, because there's nothing better than this present moment right now. It has so much to teach us and our kids. Well, and when we're in that
0: perfectionist quest, isn't it more in the shallows? Like you, you can't really have love and connection when you're trying to get perfect.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because you're, you're again, you're always future focused. Mm-hmm. Or you're past focused and you're beating yourself up for not being perfect before or your future focus, and you're beating yourself up for not doing what you need to do to be perfect in the future. But there's never this acceptance of this moment right here with your kid's sticky fingers and their little chubby hands on either side of your face saying, Mommy, I love you. <laughs> I mean, that's just the best thing ever. I, mm-hmm. I crave having chocolate-covered fingers in my hair saying, Mommy, I love you.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you were parenting in shame, what was your self talk like,
1: oh God, um something on, along the lines of how could you have how could you have done that if you were a good parent, your kids would fill in the blank, say i say yes, ma'am, no sir, um toe the line there oh here's a good one, their rooms would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> why can't my kids make their beds? you know, I thought that that was a You know, a judgment on my parenting ability because my kids' rooms were messy. And at some point, about when they were teenagers, I just started closing the door because it all of (laughs) every conversation I had with my teenagers was about how messy their room was. So they were leaving me in the morning with negativity because they hadn't made their bed or they hadn't done something. They were coming home in the afternoon with negativity because I was telling them, I had to pick up your room again. What are you doing? You know, what, what grades did you make today? I mean, everything was just so rigid and that was shame. So I have a question. Do your,
0: does your older daughter look at the way you're, you're parenting now, especially with your youngest at home as a teenager and go, mom, I can't believe, you know, you've gotten so much softer than when I was, when I was a teenager. Does she look at that? Oh God, Yes. <laughs>
1: And I apologize to her all the time. I'm, like, I'm so sorry I was neurotic when you were younger. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of, you know, arches an eyebrow and says, Mom, it's okay. Really, it's, it's fine. And she's a great kid. I mean, and that's the thing. You know, the family values of um, being generous, being kind, um, respecting other people for their own innate gifts, being funny, finding the funny in everything helping out people that are that are less fortunate than you all of those were there from the very beginning it's just the you know the path to deliver those goods to my kids that i didn't do a very good job of but strangely enough the message got through because i i mean my eldest is just she's a great person very responsible very kind um, She's the mother hen of her group. You know, she takes care of everybody. And so the message got through. I just kind of tweaked the delivery system a lot <laughs> between her and my youngest. Do you think
0: that um, you had to parent the way that you did with her to go through the lessons and get that opportunity to learn and grow?
1: You know, who can know? I there's There's no crystal ball to say that, you know, I had to go through that to get to the place that I was now. That feels better, though. So if it feels better, I'm going to say, yes, that's the truth. Because I can pick any version. And if it makes me feel bad, that doesn't feel like truth to me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it makes me feel loving and warm and compassionate, yes, that is the truth. So I think you're right. I think I had to go through that in order to figure out what was really important and in order to help other parents. Because if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have a, you know, a system to help other parents get to the same place that I've gotten to.
0: You know, I think about in college, um, I started a peer counseling program for athletes and, um, I remember we had a, a well, he was the adult, right? But the professional and he ran our program and ran the campus alcohol and drug abuse prevention program. And we, really gravitated towards him. he was real right he'd had his mm. own struggles with drugs and alcohol right. and he didn't judge us and he was a safe place and he'd been clean you know he was clean at this point so he'd been through his own hell and back and I remember when he left and there was a new person that came in and one of my um other fellow students who's in the program had said she goes I don't trust him mm. you know what's yeah. he really been through yeah how how, how does he know us and And I guess I could a lot of the listeners out here can resonate with you because they understand that you understand them, right, right? and their struggles right. because you had it.
1: yeah, yeah, and you know i um I lived a lot of a lot of stuff. you know, I had kind of a crummy childhood, and I was alone a lot, and I was neglected a lot, and I didn't feel like I was enough. But you know as i'm as I'm sort of coming full circle, I now see that if I had not had that experience, as you said, people that had that experience wouldn't trust me. Mm -hmm. And so it it was a unique experience in some ways and completely common in others. I mean, I know there are lots and lots of people out there that feel like their childhood was not supportive and it didn't carry them into adulthood, but... I'm here to tell you that I think I'm a better person because of my childhood, because I learned how to parent myself, and then I can bring that into my and parenting and help other people with theirs. And if I had had an Aussie and Harriet childhood, which, by the way, they weren't that great either. But anyway, <laughs> if I <laughs> – if I had had that, you know, I might not have the quest to do something better and different. And I certainly wouldn't be open to other people's issues to understand them right down to my marrow. Mm-hmm. And 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 i um going
0: back to, you know, what we talked about with your first daughter and the mistakes that you made when you can look back at it and go, OK, there were th- things that I did that were not my proudest moments. Right, but what can I learn from it? Does that allow you to forgive yourself with the mistakes that you made as a parent?
1: Yeah, it, it does because I did the best I could at the time, mm-hmm. and you know, and so did my mother. She did the best she could at the time, and that's, you know, what I have uh, more of uh, trouble forgiving myself for is not the things that I did in my own parenting. It's not giving my mom a chance to be a better parent because, you know, when I was little she wasn't there for me and so I carry this resentment through my young adult life and I shut her down I didn't give her a chance to be a better parent and that's what I mean. I meditate every day and I cry every day as I'm meditating forgiving myself for waiting so long to forgive my mother and that's the one thing I would like to tell wolf babies out there you know forgive your parents they did the best they could and the sooner you do, the more your life will open up and you can choose to be a different parent and forgive yourself for not being what you think you ought to be at all times. I mean, there's a big power in forgiveness.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think about it because when we carry on those stories, you know, it it changes how we parent and who we are, because isn't isn't that what kind of fuels that that vengeance or that um that need for power yeah in our our own parenting because it's like we have to it's that pendulum swing we have to go and make up for what wasn't
1: well yeah and the other thing is i i see a lot of parents out there that um because they had it so hard (laughs) they don't want their kids to have Mm -hmm. any trials and tribulations at all well that's doing your kid (laughs) just as big a disservice As, you know, neglect that you suffered in your childhood because kids need to earn the right to whatever, fill in the blank, you know, um, like we don't do massive toys at Christmas because I want to focus on that gratitude piece. And it's and it's hard to do that if they haven't, you know, suffered a little bit Um, With deprivation, that's a big thing of mine is delayed gratification and a bit of deprivation. I think it's really good for kids. My kids complain all the time that they get stuff later than any of their friends. (laughs) Mom, the 14-year-old today, why can't I have an iPhone 4S? I'm like, okay, look it. Let's go watch. (laughs) Let's go look at videos of children in Rwanda and you talk to me about an iPhone 4S. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just, it's this really kind of warped, um, idea that I have to give my kids everything in order for them to feel loved. And if if your everything is hugs and attention and support and, and an emotionally safe place, yes, give them all of that. But stuff, eh, I don't think it's necessary.
0: I agree. And you can just tell use my children as the example because they are really the last to, uh, to get Good.
1: This. <laughs> I'll tell my kids, ha ha, you're not really last. <laughs>
0: nope. My <laughs> girlfriend even said that the other day. She's like, yes, I know. Because my daughter kind of has a cell phone and it's uh-huh. kind of, you know, it's kind of more the family phone, but and uh, she was literally, you know, that happened in eighth grade. So yeah. we, yeah, we're kind of on the the end of things. And it's so funny because I went walking by a room this morning and it was plugged into the wall. I said, well, apparently my child does not feel the need that it needs to be with her at every moment.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, my kids were like, mom, we're like the Amish. What is going on? <laughs> yeah, you're going to be fine.
0: <laughs> so I want to talk about because a lot of times we have this all or nothing, you know, mindset, Mm. And I know the listeners here, well, you know, they come here because they realize that it's okay to struggle and that's how you develop resilience because that's the core message of the show. You know, it can still this, I'm sure this conversation for a lot of my listeners is triggering like, I'm such a bad parent. It's triggering a lot of shame. And they're like, I've just messed up and there's, that's it. It's all or nothing, Mm. right? I've messed Mm. up. And so I'm just going to go and get further detached or get involved in other aspects of my life because there's no turning back what do you have to say to that
1: oh just so not true like there's it's never too late it really isn't I I remember listening to I think it was a Brené Brown um, teleconference where a woman who was 55 um she was a daughter and her mom was 75 And her mom had read Brene Brown's book about shame. And um, she said to her daughter, I'm afraid I used shame in my parenting too much. I'm so sorry I did that. I think you're wonderful. And this woman who's 55 years old said it's like her life broke open. For her mom to say that to her was just huge. And then they started having this relationship that they didn't have Because the mom was thinking that, but she never told her daughter that. Mm -hmm. And the daughter so desperately wanted that. So, no, it is never too late. And the way I um, counsel my parents to reconnect to their kids, especially teenagers, is through humor. (laughs) Because it's easy. Teenagers are already making fun of everything that they see. So, if you can kind of worm your way into... Their life in a humorous way. And if you want to, <laughs> you don't have to do this, but this is one example. When we're in Walmart, I will from time to time just break into dance, you know, as one will MC Hammer dance in the middle of the toiletry section. <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? But <laughs> when I do that, the first reaction is, oh my God, mom, stop. But they're friends. My kids' friends think it's hysterical, like they're dancing with me. It's anything that is unexpected, a little goofy. You let your guard down. You you stop trying to be the authority figure, especially with teenagers. That's huge. Coming down to their level, and I don't mean down in that you're in a higher position, but coming to what they're talking about, what they're interested in. Listen to some of their music. Talk to them about it. Crack a joke at anything. Um, it will it will start to sort of melt that icy exterior that your teen has because they all do. They all have kind of an icy exterior. And that's okay. That's, that's who they are. Um, don't let it hurt your feelings. But, you know, try to connect to them through humor. I think that's the easiest, um, best way to do it. And then if they don't want to connect, that's okay. Drop it. That's it just try.
0: It makes me think of an interview I did with Heidi Halverson Grant and uh, we were talking about motivation and I, I all of a sudden, her work really clicked with me because it's about talking to people in the language that they understand exactly, and she used that teenager bit about we talk to them in this prevention, like don't have this happen, don't have that happen, right, and kids and teenagers are really promotion, they're like promotion, you know yeah. yeah and and so we and it would be like us going to France and yelling at them in English <laughs> when they speak French, right you need to yeah. talk to the people in the language that they understand, and that is not because sometimes I think people And I mean, tell me what you think, Terry, but I think sometimes people think that if they do that, that's less powerful and they're kind of putting themselves in a passive position.
1: Right. And they would be right. It is less powerful. And that's what you want. With teenagers, especially you're, you're done. Like your influence over their right and wrong and their actions, you're done. They are, you've raised them to be the kid they are at whatever age they are. And I know this sounds sacrilegious, but you're done. All you can do as a teenage, as the mother of a teenager, is support system, tiny little bits of guidance through love. And, you know, that's why I talk about in the book about um, morphing your discipline as your kid ages. As they're little, you want to have lots of structure because structure feels really good to small kids. It feels comforting to them. But as your kids age, you want to reduce your rules to those that are just based on your family values. And then when you discipline, if your kid's broken a rule and the rule's based on a family value, such as be kind to someone, and your kid's been snarky to a kid and you find out about it, the kid's parent comes to you or something, then you sit them down and say, you know what, that's not who we are we're the good guys. We're the kind guys. This is what we do. You know, what was going on there? That's not like you. You know, your kid doesn't rebel against that Mm -hmm. because you're talking to them about family values. And that works beautifully. There's no, there's no, you know, locking horns. There's no, oh my God, you're disrespecting me none of that if you're parenting from a place of righteous indignation hang it up with a teenager they're not going to listen to you anymore but if you (laughs) parent from a place of family values you'll get through
0: and that's why you say it's good to parent from a place of less power yes yeah isn't that different than the way our parents had parented us or thought that was good parenting techniques was to use power to parent
1: Absolutely. It's very different. But you think about the fact that if you're not pushing a power play with your kids, there's nothing for them to rebel against. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. And then you're on the same team. Mm-hmm. If you talk, I mean, you're a team sports person, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is, the coach is in charge, absolutely. But if we pull together as a team and we're all swimming for the same goal or whatever, <laughs> um, then, then the whole team benefits. And if you look at your family as a team, then all the players play their role. And the clearer their roles are delineated, the better the better your family life is and the more fun you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that because I, I do think we have this like, I've got to be in power. I've got to be in control, right? And that's going to create a r- riff and the wild, rebellious teenagers. Right. But instead we're talking about how you can you cultivate a relationship where it's safe where they want to come to you and talk with you, and and I love how you said tiny little guidance through love.
1: Mm. Yes, and if you always come back to that, and you know, and the other thing that I do with my kids that I think is just so beautiful is every time a kid passes me, I hug her. You know, every time I see them, I I I tell them how lucky I am to be their mom, and thank you so much for being such a kind, generous person. And that's the, I mean, that's the environment. And I've always disciplined from a place of love. And it has worked really, really well for me and my family.
0: You know, I was thinking about that this morning, Terry, because I was thinking my, my daughter's 13 and my other one's 11. And, you know, when they're little, they're always like in your lap. They're always trying to get a hug. They want to be picked up. Right. There's always this constant physical touch. Right. And now that they're 13 and 11, there's so much less of that you know and i thought about that and it was like for me before it was always kind of child driven and mm-hmm. now i think for me as a parent i'm going to make that like as as adult driven something that i want to go do and reach out to them right because for so so many of the years they were kind of taking care of it but there has been this bit of separation now
1: Hmm. yeah get them while they're sleepy <laughs> yeah that's what i do <laughs> And like I do. When I first wake up in the morning, I just like wrap them in the biggest hug because there's, they're too sleepy to really know what's going on yet, but they feel that closeness and that love, and then it sets them off for their day in this sort of beautiful, warm, luscious place.
0: Well, yeah, I, yeah do it either in the morning or at night because that seems night. like that armor is kind of down. Exactly. Right? They're more, more able to do that. Before, I think they're kind of trying to shift through the day of – you know, who do they need to be to kind of, you know, survive junior high or whatever it may right. be?
1: Right, right, so. absolutely. But the more, I think the more you can do that kind of in that dreamy state, then the more they'll think that's a normal state of affairs. And then they will start initiating that again. They'll start initiating that touch, that closeness, uh, because they're thinking in their brain, this is normal. I wake up, I get this. I go to bed, I get this.
0: I wanna talk about the becoming a plugged in parent. Right. What does that mean, plugged in parent?
1: Well, for one thing, it means that it's um, parenting is not a spectator sport. You know, oh, yeah. you're <laughs> you're not there to babysit your kids. You're there to shape them. You know, they come to you; they're these little balls of clay, and you're there to shape them. And so, my version of plugged in parenting is um, short term decisions based upon long term goals. So you think about the adult you want your kid to become and then you come back to daily decisions that set you up to shape that this kid to be that adult and you plug in to your kids wherever they are, not where you think they ought to be. That's really important. Because if you think that your kids ought to be, you know, big man on campus or um, the prom queen, and instead they are, you know, a very shy, introverted, whatever, chess player, I mean, I I don't know, you know, pick one, then you're going to be pushing them to do something that they're not comfortable doing. But if you plug into them where they are, then you can both be on the same team. And you can guide their experience from reality as opposed to, you know, from expectation.
0: I love that. Plugging into where your kids are. And that goes back to like what we were talking about before, talking to them in a language they understand. Exactly.
1: Well, Exactly.
0: Because, well, doesn't it, when you do that, when you plug into where they are and what their interests are, isn't it? Us showing up and saying, "Look, you matter, I care about you mm-hmm. and, and I'm interested in what's interesting to you instead
1: of let me tell you what you should be interested in because I'm the authority. Right, right, exactly. and And again, you know, if you can cultivate that when your kids are young, um, it's not as big a distance. If you, however, are just sort of coming to this and you're in a power struggle already, think about. What has that power struggle done for you so far?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Has it worked? Because people, I see parents do this all the time. They do the same thing over and over and over and over, trying to prove to their kids that they're in charge. And it just creates distance. And from that distance, you're not going to do anything together. And ultimately, you want to be together on the same page with your kid because you're all part of the same team. Or in my parlance, my lioness African parlance, you're all part of the same pride. (laughs) So I wanna get something clarified because so you talk about power struggle, but in your
0: book you you talk a lot about um, disciplining and boundaries and grounding. And so power struggles in my mind, and you can tell me where I'm wrong, Terry, is Mm -hmm. very black and white. It's like you're either lenient or you're gonna get in this power struggle. And when when you talk about like the disciplining and having the values, it's kind of more in those like shades of color in between.
1: Absolutely, yeah. The you know if you push you if if you put yourself on a different level from your kids as far as understanding and um, experience, absolutely true. You are on a different level of understanding and experience. However, when you talk about shaping behavior. If, again, I'll go back to family values again, you know, if you define your family values uh, according to the way you want your kid to turn out, then it becomes very easy. There's no power struggle anymore. You're both on the same side. You're both marching toward this future adult who is, you know, respectful and kind and generous. I mean, that's the kind of kids I want to put out into the world, are respectful, kind, generous kids. And you don't get there with power struggle. You don't get a respectful, kind, generous kid. You can get a scared kid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they, they can feel that you are, um, you know, trying to direct their behavior, that you can get a subversive kid but you don't get kind and generous from power struggles.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really good. So what are some other things that you recommend for becoming a plugged in parent and creating a happy home?
1: Um, You know, again, find the fun in anything. I mean, it's, it's sometimes the more outrageous, the better. And, um, for instance when i found that i was diagnosed with breast cancer <laughs> i <laughs> i decided to give well sort of give cancer the big finger because i thought it was just rude and um and so we gave i knew i was going to have a mastectomy and we gave a bon voyage party for my breast and we called it ta ta to the ta ta i mean that's funny come on that's funny everybody in my group was just completely Baffled as to why I would take that tact with cancer. But I always choose the funny path. And sometimes the more outrageous, the better. When I tell that story in school to teens, you can hear a pin drop. It's so funny because they don't know if you want them to laugh. <laughs> you want them to be, sh- they're so shocked, you know? But um, I think that's the easiest way to plug into your kids is from a place of humor because they're always looking to be funnier than their friends. And if you're the funny parent, then you're going to be the place that all the other kids want to come to because your household is funny and it's fun. And they're surrounded by so much negativity in school, especially teenagers. They're they're surrounded by this competition constantly. But when you can provide a home that is based in connection as opposed to competition, everybody's want, going to want to come to your house. And then you have all your kids under your roof with your values and you know uh, you don't have to worry about what your kids are getting into because they're under your roof under your value system and sometimes you'll pull in kids that don't have any other place where there's a value system in their life and they see this you can I mean, you can improve another kid's life in a heartbeat just by having this happy home
0: so with that having fun like you know, you know
1: me, I don't consider myself a fun person. <laughs> oh, there's a fun person in there somewhere, Corinne. I just know there is. Hidden under that type A, you know, have to get an A plus on everything. You're very fun. Uh, well, thank you.
0: Um, <laughs> but I do, one of the things that with my, with my again, with my teenage daughters, because I think a lot about how can I connect and how can I connect mm-hmm. and what's the kind of relationship I want to cultivate. And um, in junior high, she's really gotten into makeup, mm-hmm. and my husband has really had to let his judgment down about that.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's
0: asked her some questions. He's like, "So, why do you why do you like makeup so much?" Right. And and she says, "Because it's fun, Dad. I get to play, and you know, and it's for her. It's like art." Yes. And he and when she when he said that when she said that to him, I think part of him he was worried like, "Is this like she hates herself, so she's trying to change the way she looks?" Right. And that was his fear but when he she said this is fun and it's playing for her it's art he was okay with that yes right and so i have actually cannot believe it bonded with my child with makeup you know, yeah. I took her to San Francisco. We went and got our makeup done. We we're learning. And now she's teaching me and actually, and I don't usually wear a lot of makeup, but um, a, a parent came up to me and said, oh my gosh, what kind of mascara do you have? Right. Yeah. And I said, you know, I just told my daughter to go buy whatever because she watches all those YouTube videos. Yeah. And um, and so I came home and I told that to my daughter and, and there was kind of this sense of pride. Sure. Right. Because instead of Absolutely. like mom having all the answers, here she was able to help me and somebody else recognized it.
1: And that's an excellent point, Corinne, because I think that the more you can plug into, you know, where your kids are and what they like, like what are their dreams and passions? They're not your dreams and passions. Mm -hmm. They're their dreams and passions. The more that you can connect to them on that level, the more depth, texture, and um, joy you will have in your relationship with your child. Because at some point, I mean, you don't want them to be dependent upon you all the time. You want them to grow up to be independent people. Mm -hmm. So why not start connecting to them where they are, what their likes and preferences are now? And then from that place, you can gently guide them as opposed to telling them, you know, this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Again, always within that structure of family values. And just figure out what those are. I I really recommend that my clients, when I first start working with them, sit down with a piece of paper and your family around a table and say, what are our family values? If you were trying to explain your family to a Martian, what would you tell them? <laughs> <laughs> this is who we are. Mm-hmm. It's a great exercise because it gets everybody on the same team and you're giving them input. Mm-hmm. You're giving them ownership of their life in a little way. And that's huge because that pride of ownership will carry into inner pride and then hopefully they'll pick their outer pride, the people they surround themselves with, from people that are like them with the same value system. And then you don't have a problem with, you know, emotional va- vampires sucking your kids dry because they're, they're with people that are like them. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and so when you're talking about home-based and connection versus competition, we could have easily turned that around and said, let us compete on who has better ideas about makeup. Makeup is stupid. You're yes. beautiful. You don't need that. Versus, yes. okay, this is what you like. I will join in and, you know, and participate in this and you can give me information about it and we're connecting. And then the beautiful thing is yesterday I was taking her to morning practice at five in the morning and mm-hmm. we got in the car and she goes, oh. I said, what? She goes, I forgot my makeup. I said, well, would you, do you want to run in? She's like, no, I'll be fine. Um, and so for me as a parent, I'm like, she's going to go to school and sh- just show up as who she is. Right. Right. And that's, that's really what I want for her, whether she's wearing makeup or
1: not to just love who she is that day. Exactly. Exactly. And when you, when you allow your kids to have ownership of, Whatever. I mean, in this particular instance, that's kind of a creative outlet for her. Mm -hmm. The makeup's a creative outlet. But when you start putting rules and regulations around it, then she doesn't have ownership of it anymore. Mm -hmm. But when you give her ownership of it and you, in fact, let her show you some stuff, then it is truly her choice whether or not to wear makeup. She's not wearing makeup to rebel against you. She's wearing makeup because it makes her feel happy. And then she can choose not to wear makeup. As well. You've given them the choice there. And that's what we want for our kids. We want them to make choices based on their own inner value system. We don't want them following, you know, lost kids into pits of despair. We want them to be able to say no thanks when somebody offers them drink or drugs.
0: No thanks. The other thing is that it's also, you know, kind of we're, we're in this goal to put ourselves out of our own business, right? Because yes. if they can create understand what they want and have that clarity, right, then they're not going to be coming to us when they're in their 40s or 50s and, you know, needing to get permission of this is what I like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my my, my 22-year-old is she's got her own life. I mean, she checks in with me. And um, but she's never asked me for money, which I find incredibly difficult to understand. She's just (laughs) always done that. She's always had a job. She wants to be in charge of her own life. And I think a lot of that is from me giving her her own power very young. Mm -hmm. I could have done a better job at the delivery system, but I still believed in her being an independent person as an adult. And we started that pretty young. Well, Terry,
0: before we go, what are a couple takeaways for parents who are trying to rebuild a relationship with their teenager?
1: Well, I think that um, the first one is it's never too late to start. Uh, no relationship is so broken that you can't repair it. And the way to repair it <laughs> is start with the relationship with yourself. Because all you can do to plug into your kids, first you need to plug into yourself. First you need to put an emphasis on self-care and that can be as simple as taking three deep belly breaths when you're in a position of stress that that can be it for one day you take three breaths every time you feel stressed out and every time you feel especially if you're a wolf baby every time you feel under threat take three deep belly breaths stay in your body get out of your head because kids are body people they're not so much head people They want to play. They want to move their body. The more you can do that, the more you can plug back into them. Even teenagers, you don't think that they want to move their body, but they do. Put them in sports. Put them in dance. Go to a dance class with them. It's never too late to plug back into your kids. Um, That's first. And then the second one is find the funny. You know, anything, go ahead and make a fool of yourself. It's good for you. Be silly. Be silly. At the very least, it will shock them. <laughs> and the best case scenario is they giggle with you, and all of a sudden, boom, you've made a connection.
0: Well, Terry, thank you so much for being a guest today and talking about how we can repair relationships with our teenagers.
1: It was my sincerest pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is Kareem Motokaitis,
0: and Terry's book is Field Guide to Plugged in Parenting. Even if you're raised by wolves, I'll have a link to her website and to her book on the interview page for the show. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others. See what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself if that is possible for them. What is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com and thanks for listening today.
1: On a lake, she is dreaming,
0: she is drifting, never been so wide
1: awake.